center and coming in as Loom. Hillendike centered it. with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway. It is Monday, October 23rd, and it's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Wes back with us after a hiatus, and we uh, welcome you to the Sports Drive on this Monday. Brought to you by Coffee Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at Calgary Lock and Safe. Dot com. Welcome back, Wes. Woo, baby. Good to have you back. Just in time for winter. Snowy Monday, Flames Talk. It out. is nasty out there. It's not even like nice snow. It's just gross and windy and yuck. So stay warm, stay inside, and drive carefully. Is it is it too early for my victory lap about already having my snow tires on? I never took mine off. Really? No, so that was kind of dumb of me. Well, you're ready for the I'm Heritage Classic. Yeah, I'm ready to drive up there on uh, on Saturday. Um, Flames Talk coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And let's go inside hockey this hour for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine spirits beer today. So Flames finish off their road trip with a pair of frustrating losses. Uh, a 3-1 loss to Columbus where, boy, that, that felt like a lot of losses last year where they were around it and they generated offense and they just could not score goals um, and they could not convert on opportunities. Came off what I thought was their best game of the year against Buffalo on Thursday. Then, you know, it was frustrating, not so great game against Columbus. And then you go into Detroit and get absolutely whooped. 6-2, the final score. There was a, I don't know, eight to 10 minute span where they looked like they were maybe capable of making it interesting. And then um, Alex DeBrinkett and uh, Jake Wallman decided to end that 37 seconds apart or whatever it was. I guess all that talk about getting out, getting out on the road was maybe <laughs> last year. It was, Oh know, yeah. Home too long road too long. And now this time well, win one at home and getting out on the road and, uh, and I'm sure there were some benefits of, of getting out on the road and all that type of stuff, but the results, not so good. That was a frustrating way to end off a, a five-game road. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I were, were just kind of chatting off-air earlier today, and, and one of the things I said, you know, obviously, <clears throat> as a reporter, I'm jotting down a bunch of notes through the game, including what I think are, are good scoring chances for the Flames or, or especially good saves that the opposing goalie had to make. Yeah. Pretty short supply the last couple of games, especially in Columbus. I, I know that they finished with, was it 38 saves? 39? Yeah. 39, I think it was. 39 on 40. There were not a lot of stand-on-your-head moments for Spencer Martin that night. There didn't have to be. And, and then yesterday... You know, as the game got a little more wide open, I thought they had a couple pretty good scoring chances. But, you know, as I put it, one team was fast and one team couldn't get to the final buzzer fast enough. 
So some observations from this road trip. Um, you know, last hour on the Daily Flames Roundtable, we, we talked about some positives or, or uh, things that you can be optimistic about coming from that road trip. The biggest takeaway that you and I had was Jacob Markstrom's play. I, I think that he, you know, the Pittsburgh game, I thought he was strong. And then the team absolutely collapsed in the third period. Thought he was very strong against uh, Washington. And really against, I know he picks up the L um, on the Friday, but I thought he was really strong against Columbus too. So, uh, Jacob Markstrom's play has been a real positive so far to start the season, six games in. And that was my biggest reason for optimism coming off the road. How about that save on Adam Fantilli? Yeah. Oh my. And there have been even going back to the Winnipeg game to open the season, the first period against Pittsburgh, there have been saves that he has made this year where you're like, oh, that's the guy that people right. were losing their mind over in the year that he finished second for the Vesna Trophy. Um, and so that is a positive. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's a ton else to be optimistic about overall through the first six games or on the five-game road trip. There's there's more uncertainty and more, okay, where do you go from here? It's, we, just, we just talked about Markstrom. Well, then there's the other side and, and Dan Vladar, who I thought was shaky in his first start against Buffalo and then figured it out in the final 35 or 40 minutes. But at no point did he look comfortable against Detroit. No. His, his numbers through two games are, are not looking good, and it's a very small sample size, and you always have to take that into account with goaltenders. But when you're sitting at 842 through two starts, you've, and, and you're in a battle here to retain a position... I said going into the Buffalo start on Thursday that if Dan Vladar's first few starts weren't positive, the uh, noise surrounding Dustin Wolf was only going to get louder, both externally and I even believe internally that noise will get louder and the volume will get turned up. Well, so-so against Buffalo, not good against Detroit. It has not been a great start to the year for Dan Vladar. Yeah, and especially... Jacob Markstrom's 33 now, and you do not want your 33-year-old goaltender trying to play 60 games. He's looked great so far, but you need some evidence that your backup goalie can go in there and give you what you need. And he did that despite a, a shaky start in Buffalo, but Dan Vladar, and please do not take this as me blaming yesterday on Dan Vladar. Nope. There were a whole lot of guys on the you-know-what list yesterday, but Dan Vladar was one of about 13 Flames who simply wasn't good enough in Detroit. Agreed. There were a lot of them, um, and I, I just... I'd, I'd think about starting Dustin Wolf on Thursday against St. Louis. I really would. I don't think... Um, I don't think they will, um, but I'd think about it. Works for both schedules. We've talked a lot about spot starts. He played two games over the weekend. We'll talk to Trent Cull about that coming up this hour. The head coach of the Wranglers plays Thursday, maybe plays one of the games that they'll play this coming weekend. Gets an NHL game. Like, I, I'm all for them putting Dustin Wolf in on Thursday. I don't think they're going to. In fact, I'm, I'm quite confident they're not going to, but I, I think it's a fair conversation to have. Yeah, and, and let's have not just the Dustin Wolf conversation, but, but let's explore this a little bit further in the sense of when you talk about 
providing opportunity for young players. When you talk about needing a blast of youthful exuberance in your lineup, it can't just be the training camp competition. That That's the first part of it. And the Flames absolutely did what they said they were going to. They left spots available for young players. Matt Coronado is a 20-year-old rookie, is a guy who went and earned a job during training camp. But there's an opportunity now. We're going to talk to Trent Cull of the Calgary Wranglers, as Pat was saying, coming up. Like, Connor Zary has eight points in four games in the AHL. Well, you can't score right now at the big league level. So if you continue scuffling, maybe we see Connor Zary. There's an opportunity. Maybe we see Dustin Wolf because your backup goalie hasn't given you enough saves. Maybe with Rasmus Anderson out for most likely three more games as he continues to appeal his suspension. Maybe we see an Ilya Slovyov. Maybe we see an Adam Klapka, who I believe has four goals in the AHL already this season. This is the next sort of phase of that opportunity you talk about for young players is when you need a shot in the arm, you got to get one in. Yep. Curious to see. Now they have cap issues. We know that. But I believe, I mean, that they'd be able to rectify some of those cap issues by going and putting Kevin Rooney on LTIR. He is currently not, whereas Oliver Shillington is on LTIR right now. So they could add a little bit more cap credit if they wanted by putting Rooney right. on the LTIR. Um, and that would give them another, what, 1.3 in cap credit. So that would allow them to make a corresponding American League move a little easier. Sure. So they could do it. And and I don't think we see something necessarily tomorrow, but this game against the New York Rangers, the the old 7.45 p.m. start, it it's really going to shape the narrative on these flames early in the season, yeah. isn't it? There's a big difference between 3-3-1 three, three and one, coming off a win in front of your home fans and 2-4-1 and one on a three-game skit. Yep. And so maybe this is a better conversation that we're having for Wednesday if the Calgary Flames don't get the result. But I guess when we were talking on the Daily Flames Roundtable with our buddy Wilsey and talking about reasons for optimism, you could add that one. You've got a bunch of kids in the minors who are off to a really good yep. start at that level. Um, they they definitely need more from some of their top players. I was uh, singing some praises of of Jonathan Huberdeau last week, and I honestly I I really liked where he was through four games. I thought he played maybe his best game as a flame against Pittsburgh. I thought he uh, followed that up with a pretty solid game against Washington. He scored against Buffalo and was dangerous at times, but. The Columbus and Detroit efforts from Huberdo, you can't have that from your highest paid player. You can't have that from your offensive leader or one of your offensive leaders. Um, I thought Nazem Kadri played his best game of the season against Columbus and started off really well against Detroit. And then in the back half against the Red Wings, you just can't have efforts like that when Kadri's floating and letting things happen. You cannot have, I I am the biggest plus minus hater on the planet. You still can't have your top two highest paid players combined minus eight in a single hockey game. Like you, they need more from their best players. And and I know that for many, Nazem Kadri is leading the list and I understand that. And they, one point in six games for your second highest paid player, 
is unacceptable. And, and minus eight for the guy who represented you at the All-Star game yep. last year. Huberdo, after a point-per-game start, has tailed off the last two games. He needs to bounce back. They need more from... I think those are the two guys in particular that absolutely need to be much, much better than how they finished this road trip. I had a very brief social media interaction during the game yesterday that sort of summed it up to me. So on Detroit's fourth goal, one of their one of their fast break goals, I put something on Twitter or I suppose X it's called now saying you can't have that sort of lackadaisical back check from one of your go-to guys. And somebody responded quite quickly and said, yeah, that was, you know, that was a really poor back check by Kadri. And my response was that it's actually not the guy I was referring to. And so this social media person I was chatting with went and watched the clip again, noticed how, disinterested Jonathan Huberdo looked on the back check at the same time I went and watched the replay <laughs> noticed that for a couple of seconds Nazem Kadri didn't uh, seem very invested in that play and yet that sums it up when you talk about you can't have that sort of lackadaisical back check from one of your go-to guys and you can't even figure and out which of the two guys, guys it was yeah. you really had a problem there those those two have not had chemistry Together, I think we saw again yesterday there weren't a ton of signs of chemistry there, and yet both of them as individuals just have to be better. You need, if there's, we're talking about reasons for optimism, if there's a reason for pessimism, you have a lot of things that were storylines last season that have reared their head so far this season. Jonathan Huberto from my vantage point, and especially in these past two games, has not looked too much different than the Jonathan Huberto of last season. And for Flames fans, and for the Flames period, that's really concerning. Well, and and I know that they were coming off a game against Columbus where they just really had trouble finishing on offense. And that was a big-time frustration because they actually, I thought, got some shots and opportunities from good areas, but a good chunk of them didn't even get on Spencer Martin. And and so Martin wasn't forced to make a lot of big stops, and the shots that did get on were pretty easily stoppable. So you come out of that game, and I think the biggest frustration from the Columbus loss was couldn't convert on their opportunities. And so I know that you're looking for an offensive spark. You juggle up the lines. Just... I, the one thing I don't want to see going forward, I just don't think Kadri and Huberdo is a fit. I, I think there's a better fit with Huberdo with Backland. And I thought that there were very slow signs of improvement with Huberdo and Lindholm together. And I even thought there was some nice progress, even if it wasn't striking, there was some nice progress being made with that line of those two and Manjapani on it. Didn't think it was dominant. Didn't think it was one of the best lines in the league. But you go t- take a look at their expected goals and and some of the analytics that Money Puck puts out. They they were they were doing some good things and and they felt like they were moving in a positive direction. I just I don't think Huberdeau and Kadri works. I just I do not think that is a pairing that works. And I would much rather see Huberdeau with one of the other two top centers on this team going forward. We I don't think. 88 games into Nazem Kadri's stint at the Saddledome. I'm not sure that we've 
we've seen him develop a ton of chemistry with any wingers. And that's something that has to be a source of frustration for both the Flames and the player. I can think of one. Who's that? It's, it's Dubé. And I'm not even saying that's been incredible, but it's the one that I would point to and say, I haven't mined those yeah. two together. Yeah, and, and certainly Dubé's speed sort of brings a, a more engaged, I would say, Nazem Kadri. It, it gets him perhaps a little bit more involved sometimes that way. It just, th- there's going to be some chemistry there. Nazem Kadri, and I'll say the same about Jonathan Huberto, like, that's, this guy is too good of a player to not eventually develop some chemistry with somebody. It's just as you go through the process of trying to find it, and it's been a long process, they need some results. This team, this team is going to struggle to score. There's going to be nights where it doesn't come easy because they don't have that sort of clear offensive difference maker or offensive finisher. They don't, they don't have even Tyler Toffoli anymore to score some of those clutch goals that were missing last year. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you need the guys who you're paying to be your top producers to produce, or you're in big trouble in this league. Last, uh, last question uh, about the road trip. What are we, uh, how are we feeling about Matt Coronado right now? Feels like things have, have dropped off a little bit. And I just, um, I wonder if he's hit a wall. He just looks like the pace, as it always does, picks up as the regular season gets going. And I thought he was very much on the pace in the first two or three games. But the last two or three games, he just is, it it looks like he's played a lot of hockey. He played almost as many preseason games as you possibly can. Counting Penn Tickton, he played six of eight when the max was seven that you could play in this preseason. And then he starts an NHL season and the pace just keeps on ramping up the entire time. It looks like he hit a wall. And I just wonder if there is a case to be made of doing something the Flames did with Matthew Kachuk in his rookie season. And it's funny, I just went and looked up the days. And funny enough, the uh, old Roto-Wire article uh, credits Wes Gilbertson um, of Post Media, they scratched Matthew Kachuk for two games yeah. uh, in October of 2016 as a rookie. Uh, Glenn Gullitson scratched him October 24th, uh, October 22nd, rather, at home to St. Louis, his hometown, and then scratched him again in a back-to-back on the first half in Chicago, brought him back in uh, against the St. Louis Blues the following day in his hometown. But they scratched him for two games very early in his NHL career, and it was very similar for Matthew. Played a ton of preseason games, played in Penticton, and they felt like he just needed a break. It was not, you're going to the American League. It's not, we're sending you back to junior. It was... Just needs a little bit of a break, a little bit of a breather, and let's just give him a little bit of a chance to watch from above. And he came back and didn't. And he's never sat again as a healthy scratch. And and that's and I know everybody points to Johnny Gaudreau in his rookie season. He got scratched early on as well. Came back and um, scored his first goal on the road in Winnipeg. I just wonder if we're talking about Matt Coronado hitting a hitting a wall here. Yeah, I think I think we probably are, and we're also talking about. Uh, preseason standout finding out how hard it is to be a standout in the regular season in the NHL. I, I don't know that Matt Coronado, especially in the first few games of the season, was doing anything differently than he did in the preseason. It's just 
Matt Coronado has been sort of going full steam the entire time trying to make a team. Yep. You saw the rest of the guys, including obviously the opponents, not, you know, crank it up a couple of notches. I this is a a term obviously we talk about more in basketball is, is load management, but whether it's scratching them for a game or two now, or quite frankly, maybe even considering scratching them once every few weeks through the season. This is like, if you just look at the numbers, he played 45 games last season, 34 at Harvard, one with the flames, 10 at world championships. You can almost throw those last 10 out because of the, the reset that he had, like he had several weeks off before playing those games. So then, you know, you go back further, he played 34 at his first season at Harvard, including a handful at the World Juniors. Those were in the summer. He played 51 with the Chicago Steel of the United States Hockey League. This is not a guy who's ever played close to 82 games before. And so I don't think this is a conversation about just scratching him for one game, maybe tomorrow, maybe Thursday, and, and then seeing where it goes from there. I think just because the gap from 50 in junior A to 82 in the NHL is so large that this might be something that you have to get accustomed to doing just every few weeks. And it's not an indictment on Matt Coronado and what he's bringing. It's really trying to maximize some of the energy that he can bring you. Yep. You know, I think of, of Walker Dewar and they're very different players, but when, when Walker Dewar is gassed, when Walker Dewar doesn't have that energy, he's not doing a whole lot for you. Matt Coronado has some gifts in terms of, of being a sharpshooter that Walker Dewar doesn't have. But if he can't be relentless on the four check, if he can't be hounding pucks as he likes to talk about, he's just not the same player. Yep. And if you need to take him out every now and again to keep his energy levels high while explaining to everyone why you're doing it, this guy's never played more than half this much hockey before. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a knock on the kid. Yep. It's a really hard league to play in, let alone 82 times a year. Yep. Um, so some observations to wrap up a five-game road trip inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. Uh, just before we uh, get to Trent Call, the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, he'll join us in just a few minutes here this hour on Flames Talk. Do wonder what's going to happen with Rasmus Anderson and his suspension. His appeal was reportedly on this Monday, so we might find out Tuesday, Wednesday, what the ruling is on whether or not it's going to be reduced or not. This from the latest 32 Thoughts with Elliot Friedman, uh, which was released Monday. Elliot given his thoughts on why the Flames wanted to appeal, why Rasmus is appealing with the NHLPA, and how this might turn out. What I think is going on here is... Anderson has never been suspended before. He's been fined once, but he's never been suspended before. I think it's important to say this first. Number one, I don't think anyone liked that hit. Bad hit. It was a bad hit. Now, there's the argument, and some of the people who have argued in favor of Anderson say that, you know, sometimes if the other player moves before you hit, that can mitigate your penalty and Line's body does move. But the one thing I always feel generally, Jeff, is 
It's the Jamal Mayer's rule. One, do you get half the body? I like that. And number two, are you trying to really make a hockey play? There's one second left in the game. The game is over. Anderson leaves his feet and Line gets hurt. Like, I don't like any of that. I don't think any of that favors Anderson at all. I think what the Flames and the Players Association feel here, and it's the Players Association that has to launch the appeal on behalf of the player, is that, number one, there was no, there hasn't been a suspension of at least four games prior to this since April of 2022 when Evgeny Mulligan got mm-hmm. it. And also, they do feel that it's a, a big punishment to take him out of the Heritage Classic. Which he would be missing right now if the suspension is not reduced. Um, the other interesting thing that Elliot would go on to say on the 32 Thoughts podcast is that because it is not an excess of six games, there is no independent arbitrator. So when Gary Bettman, who this com- this appeal goes to, when the commissioner rules, the the suspension is final. So if he says it's four games and it's four games, there's no other recourse. And if he decides to reduce it, then it is set. There were no appeals on a suspension last year. There were, I believe, three the year before, and Gary did drop one by one game. Jason Spezza was given six. It went down to five. So we'll see. I'm curious to see what they do. That is a hallmark event for the NHL. And and should that come into their thinking? Probably not. Will it? Wouldn't surprise me. Um, Both you and I thought, both you and I were surprised when the four came out. I thought it was going to be two, maybe three. I was a little surprised at four. I know the Flames believe it's excessive. I know the player believes it's excessive. And here we are. We'll see how the appeal goes. uh, And we'll find out either Tuesday or Wednesday what the commissioner's decision is. I I really am curious how the, and you pick a great term for it, the hallmark event that is the Heritage Classic. I'm really curious how that factors into it because you can look at it from an NHL standpoint and say, you know, it sure would be nice to have the best players on each team participating. Certainly everyone at at the head office in New York or in Toronto is hoping that Connor McDavid, who is nursing an upper body injury, is able to play in that game. The other way, though, as it pertains to Rasmus Anderson's appeal that you can look at it and say, during a Hallmark event, do they want it mentioned 15 times that he just had his suspension shortened by league commissioner Gary Bettman? And so also fair. I do wonder what sort of pressure point the Heritage Classic becomes. If it's one that works in Rasmus Anderson's favor, because he is one of the Calgary Flames star players, or if it actually works against him, because then one of the storylines in the lead up to the game is that suddenly hmm. he's available because the commissioner showed a little leniency. Yep. Never thought of that. Yeah, that's why we have you on. Higher level, not just a hat rack, buddy. Thought. Not just a hat rack. Make, Most, you, you mostly do, a hat rack. You do make a good hat rack. Yeah, with this hairline, you better. He's Wes. I'm Pat. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk. And this hour is coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you this hour on Flames Talk. Good start to the season 
for the Calgary Wranglers again in Trent Cull's first year on the Wranglers bench. How about a 3-0-1 start, including a pair of wins over the weekend. 3-2 on Friday, and then a wild one, 7-6 in overtime over the Abbotsford Canucks on Saturday. It's time for the Future of the Flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech, fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they believe they can give patients more time, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson, and now let's say hello to the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, Trent Cull, joins us on the Future of the Flames right now. Trent, appreciate the time. As always, how are we doing today? Good, good. You're just getting me before I head out and do some shoveling. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, welcome to Alberta in October. <laughs> I got to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting that today, that's for sure. I only was because I saw the weather forecast, but we're used to it. So uh, we're, we're maybe a little more conditioned to this on October 23rd than perhaps you would be elsewhere. So we apologize for that. Oh, no, it's good. It's good. It's good hockey weather, so that's awesome. Um, take us through this past weekend, uh, a 3-2 win. You, you found a way on Friday in Abbotsford. It looked like you were going to win quite convincingly on Saturday, and then things got a little hairy late, but you again found a way with uh, Martin Pospisil winning it in overtime. Uh, how would you sum up the weekend for your group, Trent? You know what? I, I, uh, first period uh, in, in the first night, I didn't think we had uh, – kind of the, the period we wanted to have, but we got better, kind of a little bit like the weekend before. We got better as the game wore on, and I liked where we were at. Uh, even the next night, we, we give up one early, but we bounce right back. But uh, one thing I'll say from over the weekend, things that we could do better, is certainly our, our uh, some penalties. We took, I think, six one night and seven the other. And so that's not probably a good recipe for us in being successful. And then also, as you said, you know, we're up 6-3, thought we had the game in hand, and then, uh, but, you know, take another penalty, and all of a sudden they get 6-on-4 goal, then it's another 6-on-5 goal. It got interesting, but it's good uh, It's good that this stuff's happening to us. This is good stuff to happen now. We can build on it, get better, work on some of our 5-versus-6 uh, play, and it was always good to, to find a way to win it overtime. Well, and and because you have all these teachable moments and, and because you have some things that you need to work on, but you're also getting the results from a coaching standpoint, how much does, does that make it easier to be able to, you know, go over some things also knowing that your group's three Oh and one. Yeah. You know, and it's not like uh, we're not complacent. We're not like, I, I'm not sitting there thinking that we're three Oh and one and we're, we're a great, you know, hockey team or the best or anything like that. It's uh we got a pl- uh, we got plenty of things to kind of patch up, so to speak. But that's also to the American Hockey League. It's nice that we've had some players have some really good, you know, games and weekends, and uh, they've helped us win, which has been awesome. And uh, and we're, it's just part of that deal. And just when you're starting out in the American League, getting everybody on the same page and, and getting everything kind of quick in the right way. And, and I know uh, we'll get into some individual performances in in just a couple of seconds. But I did want the the. The ability for your group to find ways. You, you talked about it on Friday. Not a great start, but you found a way to win a one-goal game, and then you still found a way to win that game in overtime despite not liking the way it ended. What what does it tell you, especially early on, about your group that you have found some ways here? Yeah, you know what? I think it's it's. Uh, I talk a lot about habits and identity, and you know the things that you do every day are your habits, and then then that kind of turns into your identity. And so it's nice for us, like you said, finding ways to win as opposed to finding ways to go the other way. So that's great right now. And that's something we're, 
I think where we're at is we're, we're, we're starting to see our habits and doing the right things, and then all of a sudden it starts turning into this is what, if we play like this, we can have this effect, you know. And uh, I guess one good thing is, we, you know, we ripped up seven goals the other day, and, I, you know, if you had told me we were going to score seven, that'd be great. I just would have been so happy with the other team getting six. So. Right. It's funny you bring that up because was was talk I didn't have an opportunity to watch the game on Saturday. I saw a little bit of the game on Friday and but just talking to some people who did, um Dustin Wolf starts both games and allows the two on Friday, allows six on, on Saturday, and yet a lot of people thought Dustin was still one of your best players in that game. Tell us about tell us about Dustin's weekend in net for your group. Yeah, for sure. I I, I agree with you. I was uh I was happy with, with Dustin's performance Saturday. It was a bit more of a calmer game, you know, even though it was a close score, but I felt really good about how our, our team kind of played. I was playing as the game wore on. And, uh, and we, we, you know, I thought we did a really good job of, of getting right back into that mode uh, the next night. There's some really good things that we started to see that what we do is we could find results. It was actually our best offensive night of, of creativity, which is really good for us. And, you know, but we have some work to do in our D zone. We know that. And then, uh, you know, and another team's playing loose, they get one on a six on four, you know, and, and then you go into overtime and, you know, after them tying it up. And I thought Dustin made just an absolute game breaker of a save for us. There's uh, there's two, there's a two on one. And then a guy was wide open at net front in our overtime. So that's certainly not the strategy we want to have and, and the situations we want to put him in. But I thought since we took, took so many penalties, I think it was seven times shorthanded that he was really, really good for us. We're chatting with Calgary Wranglers head coach Trent Cull. He joins us Mondays here on Flames Talk as the Wranglers uh, go two for two on the road in Abbotsford over the weekend. It's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson this hour on Flames Talk. Wes? Trent, I, I just want to start by following up with you on Dustin Wolf, who you, you just finished talking about. I'm, I'm curious because obviously this is a, a player that you've watched. You know, you, you've had your team try to score on in, in recent seasons. Now that you're working with him, what have you learned in terms of what makes Dustin one of the best goalies in the American Hockey League? What, what's made him tick so far in his pro career? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still pretty young with, with Dustin. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that have been around him a lot longer than me, right? And, uh, you know, it's been maybe a month here or so. But, uh, you know, he's uh, the, the thing for me, and this is more as an opposing coach, like, he was always there. In other words, like there's a great play that's made from across the Royal road from one side of the ice to the other. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a shot and it's hitting them in the chest, you know, or uh, there's a great opportunity coming down the pipe and he flashes his glove out. Like he looks like a second baseman or a shortstop, you know how he does. It's just so quick and, and uh, easy. And, uh, and that's the other thing is I can see with our group, you know, as, as a new guy coming in, like, just the effect that he has on his team, and it's it's awesome. And that is the biggest thing I'll say is that just uh, those guys know that, hey, this guy's going to take care of us, and uh, even though we make some mistakes, he's going to be back there and give us a chance to win every night. It always jumps off the stat sheet when a, a player is leading the league in any sort of category, especially a, an offensive category. Connor Zary with eight assists through four games for your team, more helpers than... Anybody else in the American Hockey League? What have you seen so far out of Connor? I've liked Connor. I've liked, uh, uh, for the most part, the balance of the four games. We've pretty much had uh, Schwint and, uh, and Connor, 
and Apostle playing with each other. And uh, I really like the line. Uh, I think that uh, Marty's having a really good year for me. I think he's been really solid. Uh, and then where, where Connor's at is that he's one of those guys, like he can uh, he can make some pretty nice plays. And it's not all just power play. I think Connor's got four or five, uh, I think it's five even strength assists, like off the top of my head. So, like, he's making good plays. Uh, and the other thing that Connor's done a really good job of, like he's not skating in there and maybe going to run guys to the wall, like, but he's been good on the forecheck. He's got a good stick. He, he's, he protects the puck then when he creates turnovers. And then that's been, I think those three guys have had some pretty good opportunities and created for us because of that. You mentioned Martin Pospisil, the the overtime hero the other night. He's a guy who didn't play a, a lot of hockey for the Calgary Wranglers last season due to injury. What, what sort of jumps out for you uh, about his skill set and, and what he can bring to your group? He's, he's a good-looking hockey player. Like, and I'm not saying off the ice. I'm talking about how, you know, just Marty, how he moves. He's a good size. He's, uh, he's heavy on pucks. And what I mean by that, he's got a heavy stick. He's good in battles. And he, and he relishes that. He's, he's okay with that, which is great. And uh, he's got a great shot, as you've probably seen in some of the highlights. And I think he's a... He's a pretty well-rounded pro. I mean, from what I've heard, he's had some injury troubles in the past, but uh, like I've really enjoyed his his play so far. Uh, I was starting to work a little bit with him on the on the penalty kill as well, and, and uh, he's kind of playing in all situations for us right now and, and doing a really good job. If I if I'm reading the sheet right, that slacker Jeremy Poirier didn't have a single point the other night. Only seven in four games from the blue line. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, so JP got hurt, right. uh, so we're we're not sh- exactly sure where that's going to go. But uh, you know, he ended up having a, a cut on his arm, and uh, so there was a lot of blood there. We were pretty concerned about Jeremy at the time, and you know, he's fine, he's he's safe, which is great. And then uh, you know, we'll find out more information as time wears on here where where that all goes. But uh, yeah, Jeremy's been uh, pretty effective for us. I mean, he's been the leader from the back end, how he moves pucks, how he, uh, man, he's a, he's a really skilled hockey player. That's that's one thing. And he's got a good, he's got a good engine. Like, he understands what he has to do and, and how to get better. And I, I feel like we've just been kind of scratching the surface there on some of the things that we need to do to, to kind of make him a, a better, more rounded mm-hmm. guy. Uh, Trent, I, I did want to ask you about now that you've had a little bit of time, you've, uh, got a training camp and now four games under your belt with, uh, with your captain, Brett Sutter. And I know, I, I remember talking to you in Penn Ticton about how he gave you a call right away after you got the job and, uh, you are like, Oh geez. And everybody, everybody's talking about how awesome Brett Sutter is. And, and now you've got him on, on your team and you've had a few weeks to work with him. What's, uh, what's it been like? He's a good. Uh, he's a good pro, uh, and you know what? You're as a head coach, you're always a little bit uh, worried when you leave the room after your message that you know someone's going to follow up with that in a positive way and make sure the message is is kind of sinking in and helping out. And uh, Brett's been around. Well, he's a hockey guy. Been around as we all know up here that he's a, come from a hockey uh, lineage there, and so yeah. we know that you know he's one of those guys that's going to help the young guys great with the younger guys he's playing with younger guys right now i think it's been awesome to have him playing with Strongford. Uh, i've liked how they've looked uh and i mean he's just one of those guys that you know coaches love to have and he works hard he's been he's done a good job he's uh he's uh, he's provided for us i've liked that line and then i also have liked how, how he's really been a, a rock for us on the pk as well 
Uh, coach, uh, we're talking to Trent Call, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers here on Flames Talk. You uh, now get to stay home, and you've got your home opener coming up this weekend. couple of games against the Colorado Eagles. Matinee games, 1 o'clock starts at the Dome Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Just how, how fired up is the group to finally play some home games here? Yeah, you know what? It's nice. We got a full uh, week at home. So, uh, you know, we, we had a good skate actually today, and we're giving the guys a day off tomorrow. I want to make sure that they're well rested because our schedule gets really busy in November. And so it's just sometimes you need to make sure that you're, you're taking care of the horses now. So, and then uh, we'll get them back up and running Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and heading into the weekend. So it's exciting. I, I might be more excited than the players because mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've coached actually in the Saddle Dome, but playing for another team, right? So it'll be great. I'm excited to get in there, have a game at our first home, and uh, and that'll be, uh, I think, just a kind of a cool time for us. And it might be some butterflies and some nerves and, you know, some things that probably don't go our way to start with at home, but that's good. That's part of it, and we'll build off that for sure. What uh, And tell us about your opponent. Tell us about uh, what the Colorado Eagles bring to the table. They're a big, uh, usually a pretty big team that uh, you know plays with some speed, a lot like the parent club, uh, and they've always had a, a deep back end, and uh, just meet with some uh, some pretty good, like kind of bubbleish, like uh, NHL uh, defensemen. So we'll we'll have our work cut out for us. That'll be the best probably back end that we've seen so far this year. And so we're going to have to make sure our forwards are executing. We're going to have to make sure we're getting pucks deep and really kind of trying to take that game to them because. Uh, like I said, they model the, the parent club, and they've got some speed usually too. Trent, this has been awesome. I want to ask you one more before we let you go and, and take you down memory lane a little bit. Everyone's going to be talking outdoor games around Calgary this week with the, the Heritage Classic. I've just been reading up on this. So in February of 2010, you're an assistant coach with the Syracuse Crunch, and they built a rink, if I have this right, on the New York State Fairgrounds. They covered an an auto racing track? Yeah, well, it was kind of like, like it'd be like an old school, like horse track is what it looked like. You okay. know what I mean? And so, uh, of course it was, it was cold. It was great weather. So, but there was a huge kind of uh, stand like mezzanine on the one side that just went straight up. And it was actually a great vantage point. It was one of the first, I think it was the first AHL outdoor game before it all started becoming trendy at that time. So, the rink was put right in front of this thing, and they had 8,000 people in just the one side. Then they brought in stands on the other side and, and did a really good job with it, actually. You know, uh, Syracuse did. And then uh, we won. I think it was a 2-1 game, and there was a fight with John Morasti and David Lifferton. I think he's a local guy. And so, uh, I mean, there's some other uh, – it was a really good – I mean, it was a great moment. Uh, we had a guy come skydive out of a plane, and he dropped down, like, right at center ice <laughs> with the puck. You know, so it's pretty cool. And then they had a jet rollover after that, obviously. So, because Syracuse is not far from Fort Drum, uh, an Air Force base there in, in New York. So, but it was a great memory. Uh, you still have a picture kicking around somewhere in a box here after just moving. But uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And that's I didn't realize that's in 2010. Holy, that that's awesome. Did you get any? Because it feels like, and I was chatting with uh, with one of the Flames players about this today, like. You almost need a few snowflakes. It feels sort of idyllic with a few snowflakes. Did you get any that day? Yeah, we did. It was it was cold for New York, and it was it was a little snowy, but nothing too crazy. Like it was a good, not a sunny day, not a you know uh, kind of like today. It was just a little lighter of a dusting, and uh, actually that segues perfectly right now. Right, we we're having great weather for the weekend with that outdoor game yeah. coming up in Edmonton, aren't we? Well, maybe a li- little, a little less snow than nice this. Day. Yeah. I mean, 
just for the media guys, right? We're going. We're not. We're not West Coast guys, but I'm going West Coast soft here. I, the older I get, I go more West Coast soft. Yeah, I think that I'm East Coast soft. I think I don't know what that is, but that's uh But yeah, yeah, and you know what? The one good thing about all those outdoor games is usually you get a great coat. So I still have a coat that I'm going to go put on right now and go out in the driveway and start shoveling some <laughs> snow with it. So Perfect. that's awesome. We'll let you go, Trent. Appreciate the time. Uh, we'll do it again next week. Hey, good luck uh, with your home opener and your first weekend at home. Hey. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate the time. There's uh, Trent Call. He is the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. I uh, just went and looked up the uh, first ever A8, the Mirabito Outdoor Classic was the first ever outdoor hockey game in the 74-year history of the American Hockey League. The, uh, the way, and I'll have to find a photo, but the way Trent Cole described it for us, it almost sounds like putting a rink sort of at the infield at Stampede Park, like when he's talking about the big grandstand yeah, on one that's side. that's exactly what it sounds like. That's what like. I was picturing. Ended up being, the uh, at the time, the... AHL record crowd of 21,508, which has since been broken. But yeah, 21,508 on a dirt auto racing track. You know, it's one of those things. We're going to be talking to guys all week about what what will it be like to play outdoors and what memories does it bring back? I think the sort of power of, of the Heritage Classic and these various outdoor games is you talk to anyone who's played in one. You know, I, I, I'll never forget Robin Regeer several years ago telling me about how he wanted to walk to the rink at McMahon Stadium when the Flames played there because it just felt like the perfect outdoor experience. He happened to live close enough, so he walked to the game that day. It's the stories you hear from guys yeah. who were involved in them that sort of hammer home how cool and how special they actually are. I'll never forget the, uh, by the way, uh, Trent Cull uh, joining us as the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers and joins us for the future of the Flames. Brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech. Fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they believe they can give patients more time, visit OncolyticsBiotech.com. So I have had the privilege of being at all three, or will be at the all three of the outdoor games the Flames have played. They played the Heritage Classic in Feb 2011. Uh, against Montreal and just the miserable cold. Uh, but it's like it's an outdoor hockey game at McMahon Stadium. McMahon Stadium. I don't know why I said it like that, but at, uh, <laughs> at McMahon Stadium. You're a West Coast guy. West Coast soft. Uh, <laughs> born and raised in Calgary. But yeah, I went to that one was amazing. I was very young in the old career. So you're just like, okay, this is very cool. Then 2019, October 2019, when the snow started falling in Regina just before a puck drop, you're like, okay, this is awesome. Because it was great weather throughout. It was warm-ish. You didn't need to be too bundled up. And then game day, it was still very nice out. But the snow started falling just before puck drop. You're like, that is perfect. So you're right. little uh, sprinkling of snow. That was the first time we saw the new white jerseys, like the new retro whites. Right. And they looked spectacular. When I first saw them uh, down at ice level at Mosaic Stadium, uh, Brad True Living at the time came up to me and just uh, kind of gave me a shove. He goes, "How good did these look?" And they looked unbelievable. And uh, we'll see what the uh, what they all the kits look like when we see the two teams practice on Saturday. Well, and one of the players, and I I shouldn't be coy. I was chatting today with Mackenzie Weger, and he said, "Wait until you see what we have picked out for the entrance." Apparently. The Flames have, have, I don't know, we saw the Boston Red Sox do the baseball uniforms. We've seen different iterations of it. Mackenzie Weger feels pretty good about what the Flames have picked out 
for Sunday's entrance at Commonwealth Stadium. No hints. He was he was very tight lipped on on any details. Only to say that there was a, a long conversation among the boys, and they're very excited about it. Now I am as well. Uh, we're less than a week from the Heritage Classic in Edmonton. That is Sunday, October 29th. That is uh, still a couple of games away, though. Flames start off a two-game homestand Tuesday against the New York Rangers uh, for a 7.53 puck drop. 7.45 officially, but once everything gets going, 7.53 on Tuesday to kick off a two-game homestand. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, he's Wes Gilbertson on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Our producers, Taylor and Cam. And my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1,450 or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.